Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Alan Calburn, a man who's been in and out of jail, addicted to drugs, gone through all sorts of trouble, but found an amazing love in God's grace. Uh, it's a real privilege to have you on the show, mate. Welcome to History Makers. Thank you very much. So let's find out a bit of, bit of your story. Uh, you grew up in uh, Townsville, or Clownsville, as you like to call it. Yeah. Tell us about your family upbringing. Um, well, basically, uh, my mum and my dad got married, obviously. The marriage was a little bit doomed from the start. Saw my dad for the last time when I was three, and uh, seen him since then, obviously, and get in touch with him. But their marriage didn't last, so... They separated. I was three. My mum remarried. Uh, I didn't get along with my stepfather. You know, I remember clearly, as clear clear as day, I realised that this guy was going to marry my mum. As a three-year-old boy, I thought, oh, maybe I can call him daddy. So I asked him the question. I said, you know, can I call you daddy? And, you know, I look back and I see that the reason for his answer... You know, I understand it now because he probably felt that that wasn't his role and that wasn't up to him to to take that on. So when he answered me, he said no. And, you know, really he lost me from that moment because all I saw then as a little kid was, I don't have a dad and now you're going to take my mum away from me. So that really doomed our relationship from that moment. So we didn't get along at all. I obviously run amok. I didn't want anything to do with with him or you know anything like that uh, mum and my stepfather had three girls three daughters and you know I look back and I see and I remember what I felt growing up with with them from that I saw that I was treated differently I felt that I was treated differently uh, everything from you know rewards to getting the smack but that affected my relationship with my mum because, you know, I felt that she was taking sides and, you know, that that birthed in me a lot of anger and a lot of hate, uh, a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness towards mum and my stepfather and, and obviously to my, to my sisters. So, you know, with those things growing and developing in me and me allowing it, you know, and... It just become um, an area that the enemy, the devil, grew in me of uh, violence. So let's um, find out a little bit about your teenage years. Uh, you know, so right now, you know, you've, you've owned a couple of cafes, you've had an internet business, you're about to go to Bible college, you're married, you know, things are going well. But uh, early on in your teenage years, there was a downward spiral. And it, I think it started with uh, drugs at 16. Um, how did you first get into that? Well, actually, it started before that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was nine, we started going to a Christian outreach centre church in Townsville. My um, my mum and my stepfather, both Catholic upbringing, so the change of a church or change of a denomination, you could say, uh, was a big thing. 
when I was nine, I gave my life to God because we started going to this Pentecostal church, you know, Christian Outreach Center. And even though I'd given my life to God at, at an early age, the anger and the bitterness and hate was still there. Um, the problems that I had to deal with with my family were still there. So through that, I, I just felt quite left out, and I, and I didn't really feel God very much at that age. You know, I didn't really understand much of it either. So in a way, I turned away from God. And it was about the age of 11 that I we went to church one night, and there was a lady there by the name of Jan Painter from America. She's a prophetess. Um, she called all the children up the front to, to be prayed for. I didn't want to go up the front. I was quite rebellious. I was I was made to go up the front by my mum and stepfather. So I went up the front and uh, she got to me. She prayed over me. She prophesied over my life and basically said, you know, you're going to be a preacher. So that's the, the turning point of my life because I walked out of church that night and I said to God out loud these words, I don't want what you've got for me. I want to do what I want to do. See, because my perception of being a preacher was some poor guy busting his gut on a Sunday trying to earn a living because that's, as a kid, that's what I saw. I didn't know anything else. You know, as a an 11-year-old boy, just looking at that going, I don't want that. There's more to life than doing that. I look back now and I see that God said to me, okay, Alan, you're going to go around the mountain, but when the time is complete, you will come back to me. So around the mountain I went. And that was the the turning point of my life, you know, the downward spiral, the the depression, the enhancement of what was already in me, the anger and the violence, teaching myself violence. Uh, I tried drugs for the first time when I was about 16. I didn't drink very much, but, you know, I did. I joined the Army Reserves at the age of 17 to learn how to, you know, be more violent in the hope that, you know, we'd be able to... The country, our country would go to war and I would be able to, you know, shoot someone and legally get away with it. And the reason for that was, you know, when I was 12, I walked out of my mum's place one day and I said to myself out loud, one day I'm going to kill someone just to see what it feels like. Because that was the anger that was in me. I just didn't have any future. Didn't In my view, I didn't see any future for me. Couldn't care less about anyone couldn't care less about anything, couldn't care less about myself. So, you know, to say that statement, I'd made the decision. And obviously that came to pass when I was 18. I took a man's life in cold blood. How'd that happen? Basically through a lot of drug use, obviously, which, you know, clearly and distorts a person's thinking and and all that sort of thing. I'd really, you know, I tried drugs for the first time when I was 16, but I got into the drugs seriously uh, just after I left the Army Reserves, before I actually turned 18, you know, I'd smoke as much drugs as I could and, you know, use acid trips and speed and coke and um, mushrooms and, you know, whatever I could get my hands on. And as a kid, you know, teenager, it wasn't much in Townsville, but smoking marijuana was my drug of choice and, you know, we grew it, we dr- uh, smoked it, we sold it, we brought it, you know, whatever we could do to get it. So it got to the point where my thinking was totally mixed up. It was only about me. It was only about drugs. And that was it. So the guy that uh, I used to smoke with all the time, um, mate, you know, he was a mate that uh, I basically grew up with in the same suburb of Townsville. Um, He used to live on the street. Sometimes he'd live with his mum. Sometimes he'd live, you know, somewhere else. 
but at this at this time he was uh living in a guy's unit and the guy was a drug dealer um we all smoked together we didn't get along with this guy more my my mate didn't get along with him um but to cut a long story short this one night they had a fight they argued it wasn't you know wasn't over much but uh this guy went to bed and myself and my mate went into his room and smoked more drugs Uh, and at the end of that he said let's kill him you know and i just said yeah why not because i'd already made the decision when i was 12 i didn't know who it was going to be or when or why i'd already made the decision so i said yeah why not you know and and we killed him and there is absolutely no reason to take a person's life and i had no reason it was just through a series of events in my life that brought me to a point where i had no future no hope I couldn't care less about anyone or anything. I took a man's life in cold blood. And then what happened after that? Were you sentenced soon after? Or how did the how did the police find out about it? What was the story there? <clears throat> um, two days later, we my, my co-offender and I were were both arrested. Twenty um, sixth of March, nineteen ninety two, I was arrested, and we were originally charged with murder through the court case. The murder charge was dropped to a manslaughter uh, for myself and my co-offender and I was sentenced 12 years of recommendation for a parole after eight years. So after going through court, I was it was nearly 12 months after being arrested. So then on the 23rd of December 1993, I escaped. I faked that I had broken ribs to get an escort to the hospital to get an X-ray because it's easier to... Uh, run away from two unarmed prison officers than it is to break out of a maximum security prison cell over a, a, a fence and over a 20-foot wall over another fence and then uh, run away from armed prison officers and dog squad. Uh, by the way, I haven't been caught yet either. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was caught. And, uh, you know, Because it was such a well-organised plan, I was caught two and a half hours later thereabouts and uh, still handcuffed. So, I mean, really, it was not well organized and you know I, I really praise god that i was caught because if i wasn't i would have killed again there's no doubt about it i was mixed up i was still using drugs in jail and um i still had no future no hope no dreams no goals and you know all i saw was myself as a 18 19 year old at that time was i'm going to spend the rest of my life in jail and you still had that spirit of murder in your heart like you, you you tried to kill two other blokes in jail too didn't you yeah i mean there was obviously fights every day in jail i wasn't in fights every day but you know that happens in jail um i was in a couple of fights and the thing is sometimes you know you get to a point where i'm going to get into a fight and you know if a guy dies it doesn't matter because i've got no future you know you can't see what's going to happen tomorrow when you've got no hope you don't care what's going to happen. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, through that I, I basically got into a fight with one guy and I was just about to to break his neck because he said he was going to stab me. So I had him in a headlock and I was just about to break his neck and I felt in my spirit or in my heart you know, a voice saying, what do you think you're doing? And, you know, it freaked me out because even in jail and not knowing God in a relationship with God at that time, I, I still believed in God. I was like the guy in the movie hanging over the edge of the cliff, you know, with one hand holding onto a rope that's breaking 
and with the other hand trying to reach for his mate to save him. I, I still believed in God with one hand, but with the other hand I wanted everything that I wanted. I wanted my way. I wanted, you know, a future for me. And, you know, I had to let go of that and take a hold of God with two hands. I believe that because I still believed in God at that time, you know, I felt that voice and heard that voice, what do you think you're doing? You know, because if you kill someone in jail you, in, and you get caught, it's never to be released. So, you know, I look back and I see, okay, God did have a plan for my life and, you know, protected me to that point. So that guy didn't die. And I just see that, you know, God's grace not just saved his life, you know, saved me from doing the rest of my life in jail. After those experiences, you know, uh, six years into your stint in jail, uh, you gave your life back to God completely. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so basically I'd done three years in maximum security, three years in medium security, and they'd sent me to low and open security part of the prison, which is, it was a prison farm at that time when they had dairy cattle and, you know, banana plantations, stuff like that. And I'd been there nearly two weeks um, on the farm that's low and open security, so there's no locks on the doors, there's no defences. So I'm sitting in this young guy's cell at the prison farm and he was only doing about six months for drugs, but he'd actually given his life to God and he was a Christian and he wrote poetry. And basically he's written a few poems and he said, Alan, I've got this poem to read, can I, can I read it to you? And I said, oh yeah, why not? You know, I knew that he was Christian and it would have some sort of Christian connotation, this poem. So as he read the poem to me, I just felt so deep in my heart and, and you know, basically in my spirit, you know, God saying to me, Alan, you're at that crossroad again in your life. Choose life or choose death, but choose life. You know, and in a moment's reflection, and I look back and I'm thinking, if I don't choose God today, and, and that crossroad was when I walked out of church that night as a kid and I said to God, I don't want what you've got for me. And I look back and I'm, I'm thinking, if I don't choose God today, tonight, this very moment, am I going to be dead tomorrow? Because you don't know what's going to happen in jail. You wake up in the morning and you think, oh yeah, food, breakfast. By the end of the day, there could have been a riot, someone could have been stabbed. You know, they could find some guy hanging in his cell. Um, you just don't know. There could have been a fire. Anything happens. You could have been beat up. So, you know, thinking, am I going to be dead tomorrow if I don't choose God today? Or am I going to have to wait another 13, 14 years to get back to this crossroad? So in that moment's reflection, I just saw all that and I said, okay, God, I am so sorry. And I made a real decision. I chose life. And in that decision. And how did your life change after that moment? Well, I was still in jail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but. <laughs> you were set free inside. Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the funny thing is God God knows what you're going to do, when you're going to do it. There was another guy in, in the same um, unit at that time and he and the young bloke were having a Bible study that night. Um, he was Christian and when I met him, um, he'd done about six years in jail. He had a million-dollar camper-trailer business down here in Brisbane, lost his business, lost his wife, lost his money, lost his friends, and then they shanghaied him to Townsville. But when he actually was put in prison, he gave his life back to God, 
And so when I'd met him, he'd been a Christian in jail for nearly six years. So I basically said to him, look, that night, after the guy read that poem to me, it was that night we had a Bible study, and I said to him, Graham, I've given my life back to God today, but I still hate everyone and I still want to kill people. <laughs> because, you know, my thinking and my thought pattern and my thought processes were just totally mixed up. And I asked him, I said, will you, after he told me a bit about himself, and, you know, he was also a counsellor with Lifeline before he went to jail, um, I said, will you be my spiritual dad and lead me back to God? And he said, yeah, no problems. But to just let you know, this is him telling me, Graham was telling me, um, he was due to be released on his remissions. Remissions don't exist anymore, but basically you do three quarters of your sentence and you can be released. And uh, he'd actually put his application form in and he said, I, you know, I could be released within the next month. And I thought, oh, great. But he said, before I'd actually met him, he said to me that, you know, he prayed and said, God, my release is in your hands. Want me in jail, I'll serve you. Want me out of jail, I'll serve you. He counseled me then seven days a week for another 22 months and led me back to God. They called him up one day, pack your bags, get out. Don't want to see you. You're released. Go home. And after he got out, we found out, and we just see it clearly, that God allowed the system to illegally keep him in jail for another 22 months. Falsified psych reports, etc., etc., etc. Three weeks later... They told me, pack your bags, get out. I got my remissions. And technically they could have kept me in jail because I'd actually escaped. I'd committed another friend whilst in custody. And they could have kept me in until 2004. But I got released at 1.49pm on the 12th of the 7th, 2000. So, Alan, you know, your story is a story of, you know, someone who's committed some of the worst sins that people could dream up if there is such thing as worse sins. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners, you know, because he used to kill Christians before before he became a Christian, you know. You've been to the depths and, the, and the, the lowest of the low in prison and you've had some of the worst substances in your body. You've been through everything. Yet, when you came to Christ, all your sins were washed away. Your old man died and you became a new man. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it when you talk. I can, I can see you. it when you share your story. And, you know, you travel around and you share this at churches and you share it with people wherever you go. And there might be people listening now, Alan, that are thinking, you know what, I thought God would never accept me. I thought I'd been too bad. But the truth is anyone that comes to God can be forgiven of their sins and saved and have a ticket to heaven, basically. Do you want to speak to those listeners about how they would connect with God right now? It's really important to believe that it doesn't matter who you are what you've done wrong where you where you're from god's grace is far more abundant than we can imagine it's more abundant than the seas of this earth upon you if you choose to to believe that and, and accept god's grace and I'm, I'm a living testimony of that you know and i can say without a doubt in my mind or in my heart that if I didn't choose God that day at that crossroad when that guy read that poem to me, I'd be in hell and lost for eternity. The main scripture that I, I really held on to in that time where Graham led me back to God and counselled me was Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future and not to harm you. You know, and I look back and I think, wow, when I was being counselled by, by Graham 
you know, he said to me one day, he said, what's wrong? You look pretty depressed. I said to him, look, you know, yeah, it's great. I'm saved. I've given my life to Jesus. But who's going to want to hire me and give me a job? Who's going to want to marry me? You know, don't forget, I killed someone in their sleep. So my wife would have to sleep beside me. You know, she's got to know that. <laughs> so, you know, who's going to want to marry me? You know, and, and when Graham read that scripture to me and, you know, God really spoke to me and said, you know, I do have a future and a hope and, 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 a, and a life for you that you couldn't even imagine. And I can say honestly right now, I mean, been out of jail longer than I was in. God set me free from drugs and the desire to use drugs. God's given me a wife who, t- who absolutely knows my testimony and my life. And when I shared it with her on the third day we'd actually met, talking about marriage, she said it doesn't change a thing. You know, and that's God's, that's God's grace. That You know, that's... Um, that's just his blessings and you know i've got two awesome little kids and you know i've had several different businesses it's more than just okay i forgive you you know god does give you a future and hope because he loves you get down on your knees and even if that's surrendering your heart and just saying god i don't know my future what you've got in store for me but i do know that i need to take a step of faith and just believe that you can do it and accept Jesus Christ into your life, God's hand will be upon you in everything you do. I'm a living testimony of that. Well, Alan, I just find your story absolutely inspirational. Um, if people would like to find out more about Alan Cowburn and his story, um, we'll have his information uh, available at historymakersradio.com. And if you have thought about uh, connecting with God and, you, and you'd like to talk to someone, just send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com, and we'd love to... Uh, talk to you further. Uh, mate, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you and praise God. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com. There you can also find links to Facebook and Twitter and also you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers.